Think that song "Just One Drink" may be our new theme song because that's how we all start. Just, just one, one drink. drink. That's just really what that's what we should stop at. Yeah, we don't. We don't. <laughs> and so I have the rights to that song, so we can use it as much as we want. There you so go. Cool. There you go. It was by a famous artist down in the Florida Keys called Chad Allen. Really? I like it. You guys try to figure that one out. So, <laughs> so we're here to talk about honey and bees and honey bees. Who would know anything about Anybody here know anything about honeybees? I don't. I'm the maple syrup guy. So I know nothing about honeybees. So I'm going to ask some questions, guys. So we got Dwayne Bischoff that does honeybees. We got Jeff Montag that does honeybees. And we got Ruben that does bees. I just dabble. He dabbles. We've got other. We've and got, I got, we got Table 17 that claim they do more bees than anybody. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, there's yeah. one of them over there I can guarantee yeah. does a whole bunch of bees. <laughs> She ain't going to be doing a whole lot of driving tonight, I can tell you that. She's been dinging that glass all we're night supposed long. To, we're supposed to be doing a bunch of work in bees tomorrow, but looking at the drink gun in front of her, maybe not. Maybe not. Might so, be a late morning start. I'm going to do some hive checks tomorrow. So, so honeybees. So, you know, everybody likes honey. You know, to me, you know, everybody said, man, doing that maple syrup is hard work. I said, yeah, but I, there's no chance of me getting stung by bee. <laughs> Not in February. Not in February. Yeah. 30 mile an hour to win. Yeah. So, who wants to kick this off? So, first of all, how about the history of honey and what all you guys do now? Well, the, the history of honey, man, that's a, that's a long, sorted one. So, um, Egypt. Sure. I mean, they've, they've found honey uh, in, in clay vessels in the pyramids that is still edible. Uh, it's the one food that uh, doesn't go bad, and uh, um, that's and then, classed as millions of years old, right? Yeah, and so right. and then they, you also talk about uh, in, in, in biblical days when they talk about wine. Well, the fact of the matter is, is is wine is made from uh, honey. Uh, well, it's sugar. Meat, yeah, sugar, sugar. But wine, wine was made from uh, mostly cane sugar, which they didn't have. Right. They were using. Honey. honey for their sweetener, which is mead. Okay, so uh, the difference between mead and wine is is the sugar source. So that gives you a little bit of history, of honey, and you know um, the the land of milk and honey that uh, the people of Moses was were led to. You know, there's right. a lot of references biblically to to honey. So and um, so I mean, coming forward and and. You know, even even back that far and and farther, uh, there were people who were actually cultivating honeybees, and and um, it's 
just one of these topics that can go on and on. Uh, you know, <laughs> if people people will stop me and start asking me about honeybees. And one thing I can tell you is there's no such thing as a five minute conversation about honeybees. Yeah, it's never right. happened. Well, good. So we don't do five minute podcasts. That's right. In this. fact, sometimes we do two or three part podcasts. That's right. So this could be a four. This could be a four part. <laughs> so uh, what I think a lot of people don't realize is how much the honeybee itself has to do with uh, a lot of our uh, commodities. Yeah, us being alive. Uh, yeah, period. Us being alive, period. Pollination is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think they estimate six six bites out of ten of your food uh, require bee pollination for the agriculture of those products. So think about that. 60% of what you eat, 60% has had, in some way, shape, or form, a honeybee it's responsible for right. right. It's main, you know, may not be the the actual commodity, but you know, the bee helped pollinate the whatever plant right. starts which, the process, which fed the animal that you know you may be consuming that meat, whatever down the road. So yeah, they're amazing creatures, and I mean, I'll I'll jump in. I got started about four years ago. My son was interested. Hey, Dad, let's get bees. And to give you a brief history, I don't do anything small. So if if I go in, it's it's hog wild. So my son wanted to do this, so we went and built a hive, top bar hive. We got the bees, we bought the bees, we got all the stuff going. We left for something for a race or something, and it got really hot that weekend. We came back home, bees were gone, and we're like, "What the heck?" You know, we just bought these bees. We thought everything was doing good, right. and they are literally just gone. So me being me, I don't stop. I start searching, and I found a gentleman close to us that wanted to sell all of his equipment. You just happened to get all of his bees with the deal. So I'm on it. So we go buy it. So now we have four hives. We don't have one. We go from one to four. So we get them all home. We survive the winter. Well, before we go into winter, four is not enough. It's just an odd number for me. So I think we ended up with seven or eight the first year. I found some more. So we get them going. We get through the winter. Four years later, uh, last winter, we went in with 16 hives into the winter, and I told my wife, I said, honey, we really got to get this down to 10 or so because we were just, this is getting too busy. I counted the other day, I'm up to 26 now. So, <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> they, was, say, they say, they say, the right direction. wrong direction for down. <laughs> well, they right. say rabbits multiply. I think bees multiply more than rabbits. So, it's, it's, it's a fun hobby, though. It's, it's work. Um, people don't realize what goes into it. I mean, Alan knows what goes into to making one small jar of syrup the amount of labor that goes into it and i think bee honey is a is a very similar time effort into it other than ours is drug out over the whole year whereas maple syrup at least gets to rest for a few months yeah <laughs> you know the honeybee doesn't quit you know we're coming out of our dearth right now which is where the the bees really haven't had much to eat um so you've been feeding i've fed 200 and some pounds of sugar water mix 200 pounds of sugar with water to feed them for a few days just to get them through this till when the fall honey flow starts coming into where they've got some natural food to eat and then you know prepare them for winter so it, it's a never-ending process with them but they're so interesting and so smart you know right yeah and so i think you know of in recent years people have heard a lot about the plight of honeybees and the problems and bees dis honeybees disappearing in that and it's a it's a real issue um, and so, you know, I, uh, I've been playing around. I say I've been playing around with honeybees for a little over 20 years now. And again, just started with a couple hives and thinking around. And I was fine with that for 
you know, uh, a good number of the years, you know, the early part of those years. And um, somehow or another, uh, through through circumstance and craziness, um, <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> they start multiplying. Well, They're like rabbits. Well, it, it, well, it's not just that. It's once you once you figure out how to keep them alive, then you know it's actually pretty easy to grow your oh yeah ap- apiary, yeah, which you've learned this year. Yes, right? I've learned. So, but you know, just thinking around. Um, initially and you know early on uh it's kind of my father-in-law got me into it and i got you know i gotta say i grew up out here in the country and um my dad actually did honeybees um in his middle years i'll say and just for clarity my dad served in world war ii so when i was born he was 42 and I have siblings that are 20 years older than me, and they're kind of, we're kind of spread out in there. So when, as life came around the circle, and I ended up getting into honeybees, and I remember when I was a when I was a kid growing up and rabbit hunting, there were still there were still beehives on the property that had bees in them right. every year. Right. My dad didn't tend them; he had just left them. Live. He had gotten older. Right. He it just wasn't you know one of those things that he wanted to mess with, but. There were feral bees in them every year. And back then, to be honest with you, anybody that wanted to keep bees could keep bees. Yeah. Could keep bees because all of the stressors that now currently honeybees have problems with didn't exist in this country. So, you know, so we talk about that. And then in the mid, the mid 80s, some, some mites got into this country and got into the honeybees in this country. Right. Uh, initially, it was tracheal mites, which these are microscopic mites that got into the bees' air passages. And so when the bees came out of cluster, you know, in the spring and went to fly, they couldn't get back to the hive, and they died. So beekeepers suddenly were losing colonies and colonies of bees. And when I got into keeping bees in 98, tracheal mites the biggest problem that was the talked about problem but just coming into that was the varroa mite and so right now the varroa mite is the number one problem with bees it's the thing we fight all the time and it's really not the varroa mite that kills the bees it's the viruses that they they bring with them them and and the bees die of the viruses so for all the crazy ideas people have come up with over the past decade about the disappearing deep bees and what's causing it it comes down to varroa mites and these viruses right Right. and so as beekeepers now and in the groups that we you know in the in the uh, clubs that we belong in that's our focus is you know keeping the mites under control and once you learn how to do that and once you focus on that you can learn to get bees through right the winters and then uh, things improve a lot from there. You know, uh, here's what I would say. I've been in the bees probably eight to ten years now. Jeff uh, Jeff Montag actually got me into bees. Uh, I thought I took it on as a hobby. <clears throat> I've had as many as five hives. Uh, I have lost uh, all of my hives like three times now. The longest I've had a hive was about four years. I had a hive. And uh, that hive happened to have a Purdue bred queen. It was, 
I had purchased a queen. It was bred, at, and yes, you could purchase a queen that had actually been bred at Purdue University. And I had a very strong hive. <laughs> and uh, But uh, the CDC, and you can read up on that, CDC, it was, uh, I resulted in losing all my hives. Uh, last year, I'd lost, I had five hives doing very well. And uh, I lost all five of my hives at the end of October. And uh, so this year in the spring, I decided to leave my hive boxes on. I left my hive boxes on. And um, I thought, well, it's, you know, I'll let them go through the winter. And I went out and got my empty boxes, and I cleaned them up in early March and got them back up. And uh, I put a hive trap out, which I did not catch a hive. I still have a trap out. I'm going to pull it down tomorrow. Uh, didn't catch a, catch a swarm, uh, but I did have a farmer call and say, hey, I have a swarm over here. You come and get it. I went and got a huge swarm, very big. I uh, went and captured that swarm and put him in a box, put them in a box, uh, and then I had two uh, feral, what I call feral or move-ins swarms. I had two empty hives, and both hives had a group of swarms move into them. So now I have three live hives and uh, doing extremely well. Excuse me. The, both the move-in hives were about the size of a swarm ball, about the size of a football, small football. And now they're probably two, uh, two boxes heavy. And uh, my, the, the actual swarm that I caught this year, I'm going uh, to put my third super on. It's producing honey very heavily. Uh, one thing I've learned about honeybees is uh, no matter how hard you work at them, you'll never figure them out. That's uh, and it's, yeah. I think it's both these guys will sit here and tell you that. Uh, they're, they're most an amazing thing at, that is of this earth and a creation of God. And they are true life bringers. And the respect that you earn from a honeybee after you work with them for a while is something that you have to learn, and it's not something that's given. And uh, uh, as soon as you think you got them figured out, you don't. You realize you don't. And uh, they, uh, you know, famous words from a movie is uh, nature finds a way, right? And they do. They find a way. And uh, uh, I think it's they're very uh, educational. They're very calming to me. I, I think it's a great hobby. So if you wanted a small hobby out there, I think it's a great hobby uh, that you could do. Uh, I don't be disappointed if you lose your hive. I've lost my hives over the last eight to ten years. I probably lost my hives completely by five times. And I actually told Jeff last year, I think I'm just going to tear my hives down and be done. <laughs> you were telling me, so come get my me. hives. I was telling you. <laughs> so, I actually told well, Wade, just come so get for, these things. Right? For, for, for the listener that doesn't, yeah. you guys are very technical because you know bees. Yeah. So for the common person, I, I know a little bit from listening to you guys and talking to you, but for the person that doesn't know bees, doesn't right. understand, what is a hive? So uh, a hive, and I'll, I'll speak because I'm probably the youngest one or the less educated one. A hive I'm is, the youngest here, remember a hive, I'm the youngest. Okay, youngest, I'm sorry. You bring the youth, right? <laughs> uh, a, hive is a, a hive is a box, or normally hey, one or two boxes, uh, which contains a swarm of bees. And you can either purchase those or gather those, or uh, most likely that's how you'll get those. And uh, in majority of the bottom one or two box would be the brood hive, which is what broods your or births your young bees. Um, the bees will jump. And Dwayne, please jump in here. I'm not an expert. Uh, we'll bees, stop you when you screw Yeah, up. I'm sure you will. <laughs> you guys just, hey, I want you to. No, right? I don't want to tell anybody wrong. They'll but tell normally, me after the show, and I'll edit it out. Okay. <laughs> Uh, listen, you could talk. We could talk bees for years and never get enough said. Yeah. Uh, but you'll you'll start well with a colony, a large swarm of bees, and then you'll hit with a queen, right? 
but she'll rest, she'll birth what a thousand eggs a, a well, day. Well, you know, it's it's yeah, it's an amazing thing. A lot, a lot of people think the queen runs the hive. She doesn't. The queen is an egg laying machine. It's an egg laying machine. That's, okay, and that's right. that's really it. And there there, but there are quadrants of bee of bees in the hive that kind of control direction and what they're doing at what times and that kind of stuff. It's it's you know it's just so phenomenally interesting so and so you know there's what they call three cast of bees there's a queen typically there's only one laying queen in the hive now right. again kind of as Ruben kind of pointed out I've seen other figured out I've been I've been in hives and I've had two laying queens in the same hive it does happen mm-hmm. um, most of the bees are what they call workers which are all females and the women always like to get a kick out of this because the workers are the females right it's the only way they get anything done that's it (laughs) and then and then the third cast are are the male bees which are called drones and the really kind of interesting thing about drones is they come from an egg that is unfertilized so a drone's DNA is 100% from the queen of that hive so, you know, just kind of as you go through that, the process is you have a queen. They create a queen in the hive. Now, the queen is unmated. The queen actually mates in flight. Anywhere from That's going to be a little <laughs> tricky. I mean, talented. You know, back in high school, it was in the backseat of the car. But in flight, I'm not sure. Yeah. You thought you were in flight a few times, yeah. maybe, but- and she'll, a mile club. Yeah. and she'll she'll mate with anywhere from seventeen to over twenty drones. Okay. Well, that didn't happen in high school. So, so forgot what happens to the drones after they mate mid-flight, Jeff. They die. They they basically they drink themselves to death. <laughs> they um, basically they right explode them and explodes. Right. Uh, so when they when they copulate. So one right. and done. And wow. And the 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 sound of that the sound of that is is actually audible. I've heard that. To, I've heard that. It's actually if, like if an it, explosion. If it, if it happens, I'm, like I'm traumatized right now. <laughs> I can I'm see so Alan's glad face. I'm not a bee. A drone. Man, a drone. A drone. So here, what's ma- makes it worse to be a drone? Very few. Per, a, a very low percentage of drones ever have the pleasure of mating a queen, and the ones that well, don't. Well, I'm not sure it's considered a pleasure if you blow up afterwards. <laughs> well, what? But some what, blow up without the mate. Oh, that's the ones. <laughs> the ones that do not mate at the end, come this time of year. Yeah. they're starting to get kicked out of the hive. You know, you know, Jeff. I can tell you when you got me started on this, I never forget the first conversation we had. You're like. Yeah, it's a good hobby and stuff. For just remember, and I never forget that you said, as soon as you think you got to figure it out, you're going to learn you don't have to figure it out. And I, I enjoy the hobby. I do. My wife's scared to death of them still, but you guys are drug into. What do you What do you got, Jeff? Forty hives now. Robin, how many hives we got now? Forty-eight. Forty-eight. So, so Jeff and she's Robin the have forty-eight. Not that she's counting. Right? Now, just and and to be clear, we started in the, this spring with. 25. Wow. So you doubled. 21. Okay. 21, wow. she says. So And it was a crazy spring, and I'm not oh even going to get into that. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. it was such an unusual spring. But 
And for, swarms and that kind of stuff. But for anybody that wants to go out and, and possibly think about getting a hive, I can tell you, it becomes an addiction. It becomes something that you be fun. You, if you do it right, you become compassionate about it. You learn, you educate yourself on it, and you continually educate yourself on it. And uh, I had a neighbor recently, two years ago, two years ago, my neighbor came to me and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about getting a hive of bees, and I see you got a couple. He said, if I get one, would you be going, you know, helping me out? I said, yeah, whatever I can do. I'm not, unless I'm not. And the, the rule with beehives and beekeepers is I'll tell you only what I know. You do what you think is right, right? Uh, because everything changes. And uh, he started out with one hive that year, and uh, he ended the season with four hives. And uh, he was up a couple weeks ago, and he was borrowing my centrifuge. He now has over 40 hives in two yeah. years. <laughs> and he said exactly to He did. He's doing great. He's doing great. In fact, uh, he per, he uh, just spun out 95 gallons of honey. So, um, but the but the idea of this is if if you want a hobby that educates you and gives you something that that you can enjoy and something you can share and it and and it rewards you with honey, this is something you might want to consider. So we talked a little bit about the mating mating process and the poor <laughs> drones that blow up and the ones that get kicked out because they can't get any. So what's the process for those who don't know? How do you get honey from your hives? Well, you, we talk, I was talking about the honey flow. So the fall honey flow is getting ready to start. And around this area, uh, the fall honey flow is the goldenrod, is the big, the big flow for this time of year. And uh, beekeepers, Jeff, Jeff or someone told me the first year we got enough hives to where they were going to start producing some fall honey. And we had got spring honey, which, you know, your first honey flow, but... They said, you know, when you when you know you're going to get fall honey, when you smell socks around your hive. Right, right. And I was like, what? And they're like, oh, you'll know. You'll know. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I thought this was just some BS. They told me the same thing. Yeah. So one day last fall was our first fall for where I thought I was going to get some fall honey. And I was jumped on my side by side and my high sun side by side and was going to make my rounds uh, checking the honey. And I rounded rounded the corner where i had six hives and it was it about knocked me out of the machine the stink and it smelled like i rolled into some nasty locker room locker room, socks, locker right. room with stinky yeah. socks and i was like oh my god i gotta go get my wife and get her to bring smell this so, <laughs> so i fly back down the road honey honey come here you gotta jump in jump in the side by side we go flying back up there i'm like we round the corner. I'm like, smell. And she goes, oh, my gosh. Thanks a lot. What the heck is that? That's honey, honey. But it's it's a great See, identifier. I know, exactly- I know your wife, so it's probably more like, yeah, what, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that's that. the fall honey. It has that aroma when it's the goldenrod in yeah. this area. But as far as extracting the honey, then, um, the bees are smarter than we are. So you, you basically wait for them to cap the honey, which is... They bring in the nectar, they put it into the comb, they continue to fan it and control it and finesse it. Get and, the pH right. Right, just get right. everything just right. Once yeah. they get the moisture just right, they cap it off with a wax cap. For the honey beekeeper, that's when we know the honey's ready to harvest. So when you're inspecting your hives, you open up the box and you look into the frames and you see both sides of the frames you know, are ninety, at least 98 97, 98% that's capped off, that frame is ready to be taken from the hive. And in our world, as, as Ruben was talking earlier, you've got two 
what we call deeps, which are the tall boxes. In this part of the country, most people tend to go with two deeps in the winter. That's their honey. You leave everything down in that box for them. What you get above them, we call supers or mediums or deeps, whatever you put above it, that's the beekeeper's honey. So you pull that honey off. Um, there's different ways of getting the bees out of that, but you pull that honey off, and then that's what you can extract um, for your prize or your your reward for taking your taking care of those bees for the summer. And you can sell it. I mean, we sell. We get this year was a bad year for us. With Jeff was talking about the swarming, we didn't get a lot of honey like we were hoping. We had we had big plans this year for a thousand pounds of honey with all the hives we had going, and we didn't get near that. So, um, but we did get plenty of honey, and and you extract it through a um, uh, extruder where you, where you basically most people spin it. Um, you take the cappings off of the frames. You put them in a centrifuge. And you can either hand spin them or motor spin them. I'm going to step up to a motor spinner. My arms are getting tired of hand spinning them. But you basically spin the centrifuge and the honey is forced out of the frames. And then you collect that honey and and, and that's processed. Basically processing is just filtering it and selling what we call raw honey. So it's straight out of the hive right into a bottle. So the wax... You know, you, you hear the term none of your beeswax. Mm-hmm. So the wax that you take off, the capping wax, Yes. do you use that? Yes, you can make tons of products with it. Last year, my wife um, and I, we started making stuff. She did most of it. You can make candles. Um, you can make hand products, lip balm. Um, the, the hand balms we made, um, I'm a mechanic, so always washing your hands, always, you know, hard on your skin twice a day usually in the morning when i get to work i take the hand balm you just rub it in your hands and rub it massage it through into your skin it'll stay on unlike hand lotion that just soaks in and kind of disappears this stays on but it doesn't feel greasy right and it'll last pretty much till lunchtime after lunch do the same thing again it keeps your hands from drying out and the nice thing is for me i everything i'm trying to do is being a little bit healthier is try to use natural products so there's nothing in it basically but beeswax for the most part so it's a natural product. There's no chemicals that's going to hurt you, and uh, it, it, it's just a good, safe product to use. And then the nice thing with candles, um, if you burn a beeswax candle, there's no residue. There's no soot residue, and right. the candle just burns away. So when it's done, it's done. It's gone. You don't leave any soot in the air. There's no um, just no off casting of the candle burning and one thing we noticed and we didn't really realize it Dodie had made I don't remember what it was for supper that evening and there was an odor from it but it was good but there was still an odor from it and our house is an open floor plan we had lit a candle just to test how long it was going to burn so the candle burned for a few hours that night and and it wasn't a scented candle it was just plain beeswax candle and after we put the candle out I noticed there was no well, there was yeah, there was no aroma from the food, like and I was like, and yeah. it was only a couple hours later, and I'm like, wow, that was pretty amazing that this, and it was a very small candle, it wasn't like a big candle, and it's just amazing how much, how fast it took the odor from the room with no residue, no right. soot in the air, no nothing. Whereas every, generally most candles you purchase, if you sit and watch a candle, you see the soot coming off of it, right. and, and that's going into the air which you're breathing or getting laid. You know, it's going to settle on your house. So. So, so a lot of people, when you talk about the cappings that come off of the honey, the, the wax, a lot of people, before they get to the process that, that Dwayne is describing and making into those type products, like to use it as a starter for mead. That's, you know, 
So, so we're we're at the rusted nail speakeasy. <laughs> so we were swinging back to alcohol. If, alcohol. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know what meat is, I'm going to have to tell you that I've had some bad experiences with meat. <laughs> but Jeff, explain to everybody what meat is. So yeah. So we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, but really the, the meat is honey wine. Okay, so. You know, again, technically, wine is typically made, you know, from fruit, and they use as a sweetener, um, usually granulated cane sugar or what have you. Um, And the difference in mead is the sweetener is the honey. honey. And, and, uh, And I've had some really good mead. Actually, recently I was given a bottle of mead by a guy and I mean it was just phenomenal but I've had some pretty bad meat yes. well my ex- I gotta tell you so my experience I was up in Wisconsin and there was this big Polish festival and so they had all they had this I can't even remember the name of the vodka so they had free vodka testing tasting <laughs> and then they had three meads as well well for some reason hardly anybody showed up to this thing they had all these bottles of stuff left and they gave them to us because they were open, you could take them with Polish special in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Wisconsin. <laughs> Don't, I, you know, I can't explain everything. I just he was just you, there. I was there, so I was playing music up there actually. So, so I got like three bottles of the mead, which is you know only a little bit drank off of, and man, it went down good. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So you know, Jeff, I wanted to bring this up, or Dwayne, and correct me if I'm wrong. All right, it's been a while. You're wrong, but <laughs> probably. But bees are not indigenous. Right, the honeybees are not indigenous United States. Right, right. A lot of people don't know that, and they find that surprising when I tell them that. But most of the time, most uh, it's important for people to know that honeybees are European, Italian, and Russian, and most Asian, Asian, right. Uh, they're not from the United States. No. They came over on the the uh, with the uh, the Mayflower yep. and the Pilgrims, yep. and so even then, possibly the uh, the Vikings uh, at times. But that's where they came from. Uh, so the bees in the United States that we currently have, honeybees, are not indigenous to the United States. So right. then explain to me how pollination happened before that time. Well, pollination happened before. There's three types of pollination. It's wind, rain, and... and well, and but there's there's other, and there's other, other native bees. Right, right. Other, there's other, and there's, there is There are bees. other native bees. You know, Bumblebees okay. and exactly. other, other so, bugs, too. Yeah. So when we get to talk about the agriculture aspect, so when it came to honeybees, um, again, like... Ruben said they were brought over very early, and obviously they swarm and feral. They live in right. you know there's lots of forest back then, so they they that, that their native home is hollow trees, trees. Right. and they just took off across the country um, readily. So most of the 20th century, you know, again we're out here in farm country, and if you went back to the early early 20th century, this is this is all woods. A lot, a lot of it was yeah. woods, but what was farm? Just about every farm had honeybees. Right, had had colonies right. of honeybees, not necessarily for the honey production, but it was to, to for sugar and sweeteners. To, well, yeah. and to pollinate well, their garden and their crops right. and their produce. Yep. So, um, you know, people talk about you know, well, if yeah, I think that was kind of part of the question is, is so if honeybees aren't indigenous to the U.S., why do we need them? The problem is, is the U.S. feeds we, so well, much it's of the like world. We're not right. indigenous well, to the U.S. Right. But, we, but besides that, 
Yeah. The, the, the United States agriculture feeds a huge part of right. not just this right. country, but the, the world. world. Okay. So, you know, I tell people, you know, people say, well, what's going to happen when honeybees go extinct? Honeybees aren't going to go extinct. And here's why. We'll go extinct before honeybees go right. extinct. Right. Because even with when we talk about these Varroa mites. There are genetic honey. There are genetics and honeybees have defenses against that. And so we as beekeepers. So I'm, again, I'm a member of the South Southeastern Indiana Beekeepers Association here locally. Member of the Beekeepers of Indiana State Association, and I'm also a member of the Indiana Queen Breeders Association, who work with Purdue University and working on genetic improvement of honeybees for the defense against these mites and the viruses that they vector. So the problem is because for our agriculture, we need so many honeybees, so many many honeybees that if just left to nature, the honeybees, there would be a out in the, out in the forests and that honeybees would survive and there's a uh, entomologist um, up in New York has just written a book recently, basically indicating where he watched the drop of honeybees of wild honeybees in this forest, and then they they have reclimbed back because genetics started to overrule. Right, right. Mother Nature figured but, it out. But to give you an idea, the problem and the reason you need so many honeybees, the one example I typically use is almonds. Right. Yes. So in California. Right. 90% of the world's almonds are grown in the state of California. They can't plant almond trees fast enough. Right. Honeybees are the almost only pollinator of almond trees. And if you think about how almonds are used now, almond milk, almond flour. Yep. Right. You know, it's, just right. Not, it's just not eating the nut. Right. And they can't get enough honeybees, colonies of honeybees in those almond orchards. To pollinate all the honeybees. And to the extent the honeybees out there are so valuable that they have to essentially put guards around they do. them. They do. Because people are stealing them. There was just a report yeah. on that where someone was arrested. They were stealing honeybee hives, and the value was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, These guys right. were basically just finding these bee, the hives out in the fields, showing up with trucks. And they obviously knew what they were doing. Stole the whole hives, loaded right them up now. onto their truck, and off the, down the road they go. So... I've had, you know, I've been off, took a couple of days uh, off work to do some stuff around here. So I've had a couple of people here and the first thing they see when they pull in is the sugar shack sign, the maple syrup. So one of them was our piano tuner and the other one was the guy putting in a new high speed internet, which we now have. Uh, and they, they first started talking about maple syrup, then started talking about honeybees. And both of them brought up the, the Netflix show, Rotten. Oh, yeah. Uh, where right. we talked about the honeybees. I believe the almond trees were mentioned in that Absolutely. show. They yeah, are, because yeah. of the honeybees being yeah. stolen. Yeah. So it was it was kind of amazing. So both these guys, um, and the piano tuner, I'll mention by name, because that's his, that's what he does for a living. So while you're, look, while you're looking that up, so yeah, there's uh, the documentary series Rotten. Right. You guys can, you can look it up, and it's a, a series of five documentaries all about food industry items. And the first one is about really the plight of the American beekeeper, right? And you know everything that the American commercial beekeeper has going against him, um, everything everything from illegal honey coming from China, 
um, adulterated honey, right. yeah, the, the, the illegal honey coming in, driving the price so low that they can't make a profit. Right. To, you know, a lot of them get into, um, they haul honeybees across the country to, to, to pollinate these almond fields, and then they, they have to worry about them getting stolen. Yep. Right. And it's, right. it's just, it's an amazing, if, if, if you get a chance, if you're interested in, in it, it's just worth, it's a worthwhile watch. It is. And, you know, this falls back to Alan uh, for the commercial that you have for uh, the farms, Hoosier Creek Farms. Is, and, and our partner, our, our audience knows that. If you don't know the honeybee, honeybee keeper, it's not real honey. Well, and you don't know that it's pure one hundred percent honey. That's right. You so, don't know it. It's a lot like maple syrup has the same issues. Right. 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 Uh, we'll talk about maple in another episode, but um, you know, you don't know that you're getting at the store one hundred percent pure honey. That's right. The you, odds are you aren't. Yeah, and the same. It's the same way with maple syrup. Right. So, right. maple syrup. You pick up a bottle of maple syrup, which we just we were at a major store. And I always go look, you sure. know, and I look, first thing I see is it's like half the price of what mine is. I'm right. like, okay, so I flip it over and it says products of the United States and Canada. Canada. It doesn't say maple syrup from United States and no. Canada. It says no. products, products of the United States and Canada. So first of all, it's not coming from one farm. I guarantee you 98% of it's Canadian. Yeah. Um, there's a whole, when we talk the maple syrup thing, there's like a... Maple syrup mafia in well, Canada. Well, and, and, and same, it's the same the thing with the honey. I mean, and I mean, amongst other things yeah. too. So. Uh, and, and you know, Jeff, a great explanation of that. Uh, no, I, the, you know, we got Canadian listeners. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's what it is. Uh, but the 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 honey situation in the United States, and we've been battling diseases. They've been battling pesticides and. CDCs and necro, necromite. Am I say that right? E, 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 neonectites, neonectites, neonicotinoids, uh, neonicotinoids. Nec- so those, yes, yeah, the pesticides right. that they put on. So little kill know, bees. Yeah. Yeah. These are all part of the struggles that we have every day uh, with honeybees. And uh, I'm a small guy. I I do it just for a hobby. And uh, but I can tell you, uh, I've learned a lot. I think it's some of the most valuable education I've ever learned. Um, and and. I think uh, as long as we continue to protect the honeybee like we are and continue to help them grow and thrive, we're all better. Well, so, and in the volumes and volumes of information that's been written over centuries about honeybees and raising honeybees, the experts will tell you it's what we know about honeybees is it's the tip of the iceberg because they learn stuff. I mean, I can tell you I learn stuff every time I open a hive. Every day. But the, the experts... You know that have been doing this for years, and and this is what they do. They're learning stuff constantly uh, about these amazing creatures. That just the whole process. We don't have enough time here to 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 explain it all. Explain anywhere near it all. But they're just amazing uh, creatures. They they overwinter. They're the 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 one bee. Most most of uh, bees in this country. Um, all die at the end of the year except some queens that go and hibernate and then those queens come out and they start a new colony honeybees they cluster up yep. they will survive in a box in a field at right. temperatures at 20 below zero right uh, you know it's it, and it's amazing the process that and, and how they do that so you know again it's just it, <laughs> There's no such thing as a five-minute conversation. Right, and right, that's just right. It can go on and on. So I wanted to go back, just for those listeners, 
uh, you, you talked briefly about spinning the honey. So what's the process from spinning the honey to putting it in a bottle? Is there a filtering process? Do well, you heat it? Do you cool it? Do it? So I guess you know, all, all honey producers are a little di- bit different. Right. So what we do is we produce what is called raw honey, okay? And um, raw meaning that it hasn't been heated up to a point of any type of adulteration, causing right. any kind of problem or doing damage to the pollen. Non-pasteurization. The pollen right. uh, molecules that are in there because that's what most people benefit from in honey is is the pollen residues that are in the honey. So for us, we spin it out as... as Dwayne was describing earlier. We have a centrifuge, and yes, we've graduated up to He's a motorized one. Fancy so you've got, you've got, yeah, you've He's got one of those fancy oh, big beekeepers. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's a whole new world. But <laughs> it kind of looks like the old, you know, I, I got one. I got an old ringer Ring washing, washing machine. Yeah, yeah same. They've actually, the spinner people thing. have actually made spinners yeah. out of old ringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you know, we spin the honey out, and we run it through a couple screens to take the bigger particles out. We'll warm it up to never over 120 degrees, just really warm enough to get it to flow decent. And then we'll take it through some, some smaller screens. We, ne- we don't pressure filter anything, um, you know, because we don't, you know, we're not going through small enough stuff right. that's going to take those, right. those uh, molecules, uh, pollen right. molecules out. And we bottle it and, and straight into the bottle. So, so... You know, that's what you get in raw honey. Right. Now, different, you know, I can't speak for every honey producer, but that's that's how we do it. And right. So, growing up, I, I wrestled in school. So, we always had to lose weight prior to the match. And after you got done weighing in, the coach always said, Squeeze in the honey. Take some honey. He said, There's nothing like good old bee puke because it's already been digested. Yep. So, is that the correct term? Is that? Well, I... I appreciate it. Sort of, yeah. Sort of, so, no, maybe. So, so, the process is, okay, honeybee goes out, goes it's going to flowers, and it's pulling off nectar. Correct. Okay, which is sucrose. And, and it puts it in its honey stomach, and it flies back, and it transfers. It, usually, that forager bee comes in and transfers that honey from its honey stomach into a... Uh, a house bee that then same thing then it transfers it and it and they begin placing these small so, bits of honey in, so it sounds to me cells. like it's actually puked out twice yeah, uh, at least double puke. sometimes yeah. more puke. than that tastes better the second time there you go so so there are bee the, the bee introduces enzymes into the nectar and uh, kind of it kind of helps separate the sucrose okay. it simplifies it Okay, yeah, it, it makes it more of a simple sugar, and uh, and then once it's once they fill these cells in the honeycomb, if everybody's ever seen honeycomb, they they fill those cells, you know, a couple drops at a time, and once they get that full, they they fan and and dehydrate that honey they pull the moisture out and the and the moisture content when they cap the honey is around between 17 and 18 percent moisture so that's why honey lasts so long two things it has very little moisture in it and the ph is about 3.3 it's very acidic yeah so it doesn't spoil bacteria doesn't live in it and uh, and that's why it lasts so long sort of like good bourbon and i yeah, I, right. 
I'll give you this. This is not ADA approved or MD or whatever medical association, but I, I saw some a gentleman did this once and he cut his finger and he posted photos, which was kind of interesting, but kind of gruesome at the same thing. But he posted the photo of the cut and uh, he used nothing but honey to treat the wound. And he posted a photo every other day of the wound. And all he did was honey, bandage, clean it, honey, bandage, clean it. Within just a few days, it had healed. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, tend being in the mechanic world, I tend to cut myself, hurt myself. So I had cut myself one time, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try this one. So I got some of my honey out, put it on the cut, just treated it with honey and a Band-Aid, nothing else, no, ant- no my, um, antibiotic or nothing. Faster than any antibiotic or anything I've ever put on it, it healed. My wife burnt her arm one day, and just she was in misery and agony and complaining a little bit gloom, <laughs> despair and agony you on me. me so she, we didn't have any aloe or anything and she's like and she heard remember me saying this and me doing it she's like well heck i'll try some honey so she put a little honey on it the burning almost instantly went away and the burn healed since then as beekeepers you get stung it's gonna happen um the other day my lovely wife was helping me feed and the bees the night before i was in my bees they were the calmest things in the world i was doing whatever i wanted to do they weren't bothering me the next night we went to feed they were the meanest that's so mean and i mean it was they were trying to light us up and she's 10 feet away from me i'm in the hive putting the feeders on putting the sugar on and they're bouncing off my hands and i started using nitrile gloves just like regular rubber gloves because i can feel the hives better why I said, honey, why don't you just put some nitrile gloves on tonight? You're far enough away from me. They won't bother you, and it'll be, you can feel better. Well, I opened the hives up. Then B said, ah, hey, Dwayne, what's up? Went straight to her and nailed her in her hand. Got her twice. She said after the second one, I'm done. Your bees are done. They're going to starve. I don't care. And she was done. So I, I finished feeding. I got stung twice. Such a compassionate companion. Yeah. So I got ended up getting stung twice before the night was over. As soon as I went in the house, got my clothes off where I found saw the stings, took one drop of honey, put a Band-Aid on it. And this was about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Before I went to bed, the swelling was gone, the itching was gone. And before that, I had done it too. That wasn't the first right. time. But anytime I get stung now, as soon as I get stung and can get in the house and I'm done, I put one drop of honey and a Band-Aid on it. I don't know yeah, what the, it does. The, so a honeybee can sting just once, correct? Yeah, right. you got one sting. The stinger comes out and, 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 that, and, bee that, dies. and that bee dies. So. But, but that stinger can pulse for minutes after it right. leaves right. the bee. Right. So. so here's a little uh, little thing. I just uh, a, a, The average honeybee will collect one-twelfth of a teaspoon in its lifetime. One honeybee. One in its lifetime. In yeah, its, its lifetime. lifetime. One twelfth of a teaspoon in its lifetime. So imagine again, yeah, again, this gets down to the yes. incredible. So a, 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 a typical beehive at its peak in the in the late spring is about sixty thousand bees. They build up probably from fifteen twenty thousand bees coming out of winter to you know sixty thousand bees at at the peak of their population, and hopefully that's when a lot of stuff's blooming. You know, that's right. that's yeah, a right. lot of stuff blooming and they got a nectar a lot of nectar to bring in. But getting back to Dwayne's talk about the, the healing properties of honey have been known for centuries, if not millennia. So so but, on that, let's take a short break because we got a, a sponsor. 
and we'll come back and we're going to talk about the healing properties of honey and bee stings. So we'll be right back with Cross the Line 1524. We all know there's nothing like that taste of fresh honey. Pure as can be, all natural. Check out Hoosier Creek Farm right outside of Brookville, Indiana. You can find them on Facebook at Hoosier Creek Farm. Learn a little bit about beekeeping, what it takes to get that fresh honey. Remember, how do you know it's pure honey if you don't know the beekeeper? Hoosier Creek Farm, proud to be one of our sponsors at Cross the Line 1524. That's right, nothing like pure honey, that's what we've been talking about. Uh, part two of this will be about the medicinal purposes of honey, The uh, uh, some of the benefits that most people don't know about. Uh, once again, thank you for listening to Cross the Line 1524. We now have a YouTube channel as well. It is called, of course, Cross the Line 1524. Uh, we are posting all our newer podcasts on there. So uh, if you got YouTube, you want to listen to it through the YouTube player, go right ahead and do that. We are also on iHeartRadio. And um, so every podcast app that you could grab and listen to, we're there. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. Uh, that helps spread the podcast. It gets us a little higher ranking and more people see our podcast out there. So we appreciate your support. For Dwayne Bischoff, Ruben Hunt, Jeff Montag, I'm Alan Stanger, and you've been listening to Cross the Line, 